You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. I know. Was he any good? I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents the Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. Hello, Long Island, New York, and around the country. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, and my co-host... Himself, yes, the co-host, Mr. Speedy Dan Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday, either after the Islander game at 10.30, or if the Islanders aren't playing Saturday, at 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time, only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. What is going on, Speedy? It is Summer. All week. I hate this weather. When are we getting the fall weather? I'm expecting some cool weather up and ready to come to New York. I am disgusted with this weather, Speedy. You would like the fall. This was your time of year, apparently, but I guess not. We never have a fall here. It's really summer and winter. And the winter doesn't come until, like, January now. We have, like, what, two months of winter? And we barely get any snow. I want to see some snow. I want to see some cold. I want to wear my jackets. I want to wear my sweats. My boots, too. This is the best time of the year. So I just don't like the weather. Anyways, we have a great show lined up for you guys. We're going to make our week six picks of the NFL. We're also going to get into Kyrie Irving in just a few moments. He said some very interesting things on his social media, on his Instagram, that really has brought me to respect him more as a basketball player and as a player off the court. We will get into the Islanders and Rangers preview for the season. Both teams have not started off very strong. We will also get into... The Yankees and the Mets. What the Yankees need to do in the offseason to really boost up this team. Obviously bringing possibly back Aaron Boone for one more year. What do the Yankees need to do to make this team a contender for a World Series? And the New York Mets looking for a new manager, looking for a new GM. What do the Mets need to do in the offseason where they can be solidified as one of the top teams in the National League with the Braves, the Cardinals, the Dodgers, the Giants that have had sensational years this year? We will also, ladies and gentlemen, finish up as we get into crunch time and debate wars. We didn't get into much of a debate wars last week because of our great guest. We don't don't have any guests tonight. We will have guests next week, so definitely stay tuned for that. But this is still going to be a wonderful show. And I want to get into this Kyrie Irving situation. And I have attacked Kyrie Irving for some of the stupid things we've heard over the last couple of years that's come out of his mouth. I love the movie Uncle Drew. I've been waiting for Uncle Drew, too. I think the guy is a sensational basketball player that can shoot Get to the hole at will. One of the best ball handlers I've ever seen since Allen Iverson. No question. But this man, week in, week out, when he played for the Celtics, when he played for the Cavaliers, this man has really made himself look like a fool in the NBA. A matter of fact, they use the saying, oh, just do the Irving, or just do Kyrie, or just be Kyrie. So Kyrie Irving is not seen as a smart NBA player or a respectable NBA player on and off the court. But this week, he spoke on Instagram. He didn't go to the press. He didn't speak to the press. He didn't speak to the Net fans. He wanted everybody to hear his thoughts on who he is, what he is, and why he has decided not 
to play this season if he's going to be forced to get the vaccination. I've actually been that dude, you know, speaking constantly, trying to, you know, put my ideas on people and trying to wake them up and trying to force thoughts on them. And that that wasn't the right way to go. That wasn't the right delivery. You know, I could have my beliefs, but that doesn't mean I have to have everybody believe what I think, that I have to convince everybody this is the right choice. That's not the way to go. Like, I've said some of the dumbest things in my life. Like, I've made so many mistakes before, and I have to be okay with making those mistakes in the public eye, you know? And that's not always a comfortable position, but it is what it is. You know, and I'm responsible for that influence and I'm responsible for my life as a mature individual. But I'm not going to continue to dance around, uh, you know, these issues like it's not going on in our world either. You know, but I'm I'm, I'm damn sure I'm not going to judge you if you have a different opinion to me. I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to download it. Uh, I'm going to let you speak. I'm going li- to listen intently and, I, and I'm going to uh, do it in a way where we can both come out of it from an, uh, with an understanding. So you heard Kyrie Irving come out. When was the first time you've ever heard Kyrie Irving come out and really take shots at what he has said in the NBA? He claimed a couple of years ago that the earth was flat, and he has said some things on and off the court that makes you shake your head. There are so many things that Kyrie Irving has said over the years that makes you shake your head. But all in all, I have picked on this guy. We've heard Stephen A. Smith, Max Kellerman, Craig Carton, Evan Roberts, Joe Beningo over the years make fun of Kyrie Irving and some of the stupid things. He has said not only to the press, but to the newspapers, to the magazines that he's been in and really who he is as a person. He is a sensational basketball player that is a very outspoken athlete, but him throwing himself under the bus and pretty much telling you that he has made his mistakes. He has said some stupid things and he regrets some of the things that he has said. And he has taken all the attacks from the press and attacks from the fans from what he has said in the past. He's taken it and, and he's been a man about it. And to me, when you listen to Kyrie Irving and the way he speaks and the way he really came out and shedded his heart in this interview, it shows you how good of a man he really is off the court. This is a man that is not afraid to speak up for himself. This is a man that is really for the fan. He speaks in this interview that he is behind all the people that don't want to get vaccinated. But he's also behind the people that are vaccinated. He is not going to attack anybody that has decided what him or what she wants to do to their body. It shows you that this man has a lot of respect, not only for himself, but what's going on in the world. He also gives shouts out to doctors and nurses and CNAs and people that are on the front line trying to figure out this disease and how to stop this virus before it spreads and kills more people. Everything that he said in this interview gives me an understanding of who he is and makes me want to respect him more. Stephen A. Smith, I don't care if you're listening, and if you are listening, good, because I want you to hear what I have to say. It's not always about you, and it's not always about Kyrie, and Kyrie even spoke that this is not about him. But for you to attack somebody that you quote-unquote know and said that you respect and say that this guy doesn't know anything, this guy, if he doesn't do what he's supposed to do, he shouldn't be in the NBA, why don't you shut up? You never play professional basketball. You've written for the 76ers. You're a Knicks fan who doesn't know anything. 
You think you know boxing. You think you know baseball. You think you know football. You attack the Cowboys. You got nothing to say about the Cowboys right now. The Cowboys are 4-1 and knocked off your Giants like they were a piece of waste that they threw out. A banana peel. You had nothing to say about that, but you had everything to say about the Cowboys last year when they lost Dak Prescott and they were a terrible team. This man should be respected by the players. This man should be respected by the GMs. This man should be respected by all the owners because he spoke out. He is not going to give in, and he's going to do the right thing, and he's going to sit out the whole season. And everybody says, well, what makes you think he's going to sit out the whole season when he's going to lose out on over $30 million? He already came out and said that if he doesn't understand what this vaccine does to his body, he is not putting it in his body. He's got to worry about his family, taking care of his family, taking care of his mother, his father, his sister, everybody that's involved in his present life. And he has kids and a wife. When you look at the big picture, he is trying to be a dad. He's trying to be a man. And he's not speaking for anybody else but himself. And he said something really interesting at the end of his interview. And I'm going to tell you why this part of the interview shows you he's not greedy. Now is not the time to be divided and use me as an example that I don't want to be used as. So I'm thinking clearly, I'm not thinking logically, I'm not thinking with emotions, I'm going to keep saying that because you, you got you to gotta make these, you got to make these convictions yourself. Like I got to make these myself because it's going to continue to revolve around this and that and yo, you're going to lose out on money and you're going to lose out on this. Like, so what? It's not about the money, baby. It's not always about the money. It's about choosing what's best for you. You think I really want to lose money? You think I really want to give up on my dream to go after a championship? You think I really just want to give up my job? You think I really just want to sit at home and 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 not go after the things with my teammates that I, I've been able to, to grow with, to learn with, to learn that it takes sacrifice in this space? Because we could be easily at home chilling with our families, but we're choosing to go out there and perform. You know, and even in that job, like that that's a dream come true. I've been working on that since I was in fourth grade. You think I want to give up my livelihood because of a mandate, because I don't have accommodations, because I'm unvaccinated? Come on. I'm not going to be used as an as as a person in this agenda. If you listen to what he had to say right there, when you listen to NBA players, they never bring up money because it's all about the money. But what Kyrie Irving said in this part of the interview is it's not about the money. I don't care about the money. I care about being forced to do something that I was told I wasn't going to be forced to do before this season started. Now all of a sudden it's getting mandated, and now you're forcing me and my livelihood that if I don't do it, you're not going to play, you're not going to get paid. And he gave up an extension that the Nets were offering him, a four-year $188 million, which would have made him the highest-paid point guard in NBA history in a four-year contract. He gave it up, and now the Nets are not offering. It's off the table. So what does that tell you about Kyrie Irving? It isn't about the money. It isn't greed. We hear about it all the time with football players, baseball players, hockey players. It's all about how much money am I going to make? How much money are you going to put in my pocket? How much money are you going to give me because the other guy is getting paid more and I'm a better player? Kyrie Irving came out and said, this isn't about the money. This is about what's going on in the world. This is about me as a person, as a man that is going to sacrifice money to make a point. He doesn't want to give up on a championship. He has a chance to win a championship with the Nets. 
He said what he said because he believes in what he believes in. And that you have to respect, not only as a man, as an athlete. And he says it in the interview, too. I've been playing ball since I was four years old. And my dream was to play in the NBA. And I got here. And now I want to play at a higher level and win more championships and do it for my fans, do it for my friends, do it for my family. And when somebody is mandating it and taking it away from me, because I am forced to do something that I shouldn't have to do to my own body, I'm not going to do it. Yeah, I'm surprised how genuine it was, too. Kyrie Irving's always been outspoken. He's always been crazy in some ways with every team he goes to. Obviously, was one of the more popular players when he was playing with LeBron in Cleveland, and his thing was going to be something that was going to be tuned into once people realized, all right, there's an Instagram Live for Kyrie Irving. What is he going to do? Like, who is he? And it seemed very genuine. It seemed very calm. seemed very from the heart. It didn't really seem like something that you would hear out of a NBA superstar that usually has these crazy things to say, especially Kyrie Irving. So I was definitely impressed with the fact that it seemed like so from the heart and seemed like it was something that he was forced to say. It sounded real. It was very heartfelt. And for what he is and what he has been over the last couple of years and how players portrayed him to be, I listened to Jeff the other night on the Sports Loudmouths and he doesn't like him because he's a Celtic fan. Kyrie Irving did a lot of things to the Celtic fans. He said a lot of things to the Celtic fans. And even the Celtic fan that threw something at him, who obviously went to court in the middle of the season because he disrespected Kyrie Irving. The kid didn't go to jail. He didn't get fined because they obviously dropped the charges. Why did they drop the charges? Because Kyrie Irving didn't want the money. He just wanted to make a statement and wanted this kid to understand and learn not to do stuff like that to a professional athlete that's playing in front of the fans and entertaining the fans. So for all the fans, including me, a person that has always disrespected Kyrie Irving, and I loved him, tri-state player. He's from New Jersey. He grew up over here, private school. He played for Duke, my favorite college basketball team. I've been following him since he came to the NBA. I love Kyrie Irving. Over the years, I just made fun of him because he said some stupid things. But even the stupid things that he says, which he came back and said, I have said stupid things. I have made mistakes. I've learned from him. But you know what? When you learn from him, you don't do it again. And as a grown-up with my kids and my family, I have to be a person that represents my family. You have to give this guy a lot of credit. He didn't have to do this. He didn't have to go and talk to the public, but he did it. And I respect Kyrie Irving for what he has said. He already said he's not retiring. I don't know if the Nets are going to trade him. Quite possibly could happen. But if they do, Kyrie Irving's going to stand tall. And it only makes me even more of a fan of Kyrie Irving because he's not giving in to what he doesn't believe. Vaccinated or not vaccinated, and he never took shots at anybody, any particular person because they are vaccinated or not. That shows you who he is as a man. He's for the people, and he speaks for the people. And I give him a lot of credit. You mentioned Carl Anthony Towns, who was vaccinated and lost all those family members to COVID, too. He even came out in support of Kyrie Irving. So it shows that Kyrie Irving is not being his, I guess, usual selfish self, crazy self. How do we know it was selfish? Maybe he was just being a person that has a word to speak and has a platform to speak. That's what I'm saying. Like, usually he just does things. It's not selfish. He's speaking for himself. No, no, no. no. I know that. I'm saying he's had his own philosophies on different things (laughs) in the past. Philosophies are the nice (laughs) way to express I know, it. I know. So you would have thought it was something with him, but when Carl Anthony Towns, who lost eight family members, like you said, comes out and say it, that shows how genuine it really is. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to get into hockey. Yes, the Islanders started their season on Thursday night. Did not look good. We will get into the Islanders and what the Islanders need to do in 
game number two, which was tonight, and what they need to do as the season progresses on their lines and how they're going to bring up some of the youngsters as the season progresses. We will also get into the Rangers, who are now 0-2, lost in overtime against Dallas. Not having a good start, but I still think Blanche will figure things out defensively, and this team is a lot better than people think they are. So when we come back, we'll get into some Rangers and Islander previews here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, and my co-host, Speedy Superman Petey. Remember, you can listen to the show every single Saturday, if not after the Islander game, at 7 p.m., 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time, only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. I will say this. If you are driving and decide to go to a drive through at a fast food restaurant after the gym, please, ladies and gentlemen, make sure that your battery and your alternator is charged. Because if it isn't, you would have been like me, which happened on 25 Middle Country Road, right by Smith Haven Mall, across the street at Sonic, where I went completely kaplunk over there where my dashboard went out and my whole car died because my alternator couldn't vault up. And I want to give a shout out to my friend Eric that actually came from his mechanic shop to help me jumpstart it, help me check out what was wrong with it, not holding a charge. It was the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to me. I was right in front of the window for about an hour while people are trying to get their food. It was absolutely embarrassing. We tried to jumpstart it. We tried to push it into neutral because it's a digital dashboard. It wouldn't let me go to neutral until I jumpstarted it. It was absolutely horrible. Embarrassing. So definitely make sure before the winter comes around that your alternator is good and so is your battery. I want to get into the Islanders first. I will say this about the New York Islanders. The Islanders are expected to be a Stanley Cup competitive team this year. They added Zach Parisi. They added Zdeno Chara. They have some really good young players, Pulak and Pelik, who just signed eight-year deals, and they're going to be their lead defenseman moving forward. They did not have a good game on Thursday night. Now, I know it's... Game number one, it's against a very good Carolina Hurricane team that was one of the favorites of winning the Stanley Cup last year. And I expect Carolina to be one of the favorites this year as well with the team that they have, offensively and defensively. And that kid, Ajo, looks like he's a really, really good player. They have some good young players on that roster. And I love Rob Brindamore. His nose is one of the ugliest noses I've ever seen. (laughs) But he is one of the nicest guys. I met him in Dallas At the draft, we were in the same hotel. I actually got to go to the bar and actually talk to him. And Filk and Anthony LaRocca actually were standing in the same elevator with him and almost crapped their pants that they were right next to Rob Brindamore. Question, who has an uglier nose, Daryl Sutter or Rob Brindamore? Rob Brindamore. Oh, my God, it's an ugly nose, man. It's big and it's ugly. It looks like it's been broken in like six different places. It's horrible. Who knows? Maybe it has. It's a horrible-looking nose, but nice guy, and he knows hockey. And he was a pretty good hockey player when he was in the NHL in the late 80s, early 90s. He was pretty good. But last night, the defense of the Islanders, I don't know where the hell they were. I don't know if they were playing. 
And Sorokin, you can't blame all the goals on Sorokin, but Sorokin did not look good in game number one. I know he's a second-year player. Volamov isn't there. You can't put all the pressure on this young goaltender, but to go into game number one and give up five goals, it's embarrassing for a team to be one of the favorites, one of the top four favorites of going to the Stanley Cup. There were so many people in the Hockey Digest and on some of these different magazines and newspapers saying that they believe the Islanders are coming out of the East and could win the Stanley Cup. Not the way they play. The sad part is they let Tony D'Angelo get two points, naturally. That's what the Rangers are going to do. All their players are going to go to the Hurricanes and be good again. Brady Shea and now Jesper Foss, who also had a goal in that game as well. So all the ex-Rangers <laughs> scoring. But yeah, it's, it's definitely maybe a new system for a lot of the new players all at once. And the defense definitely was surprised. I know the Hurricanes do have a lot of offensive talent. They this. never start off strong defensively, the Islanders. Last year, they didn't either. No, but six goals is definitely a lot. What did they give extreme. up? Four goals the first game of the season last year? Six goals is definitely a lot for anybody, no matter how bad your defense is. Again, Svechnikov is a great player. Like you mentioned, Ajo is a young superstar in the end. NHL, Tara Vinen. It's a great team that the Hurricanes have, but again, six goals definitely a lot and is definitely surprising for an Islanders defense that is young, is fast, and great system for sure. And yes, they're going to start slow and you're right, you, don't, you can't blame Sorokin. It's a first year as a full-time starter now with Varlamov hurt. He didn't do this last year, so definitely an adjustment process for him. Give him time for sure. He's phenomenal when he is going. And again, the Hurricanes a good offensive team. Probably one of the top three teams in the Metro. Their offseason was very weird, but they're still very I'm going to go back to the Islanders, and last year in game number one, they lost Two to one against the Capitals. They won four to one against the Jets. Then they lost five to two against the Oilers. Then they lost five to two against the Hurricanes. So it took a little while for the Islanders to get their defense moving. And I believe this defense is going to be one of the best in the league. Adding Zidane Chara doesn't make them worse, it makes them better. I'm just questioning how they started off Thursday night. Barzell scored the first goal, which they actually recalled the play and they saw it went past the line. They were up one to nothing. After they got the first goal, everything started piling up and maybe because Matt Martin wasn't playing that fourth line wasn't at its top end but I can't say Matty Martin Matty Martin isn't Connor McDavid he's not Sidney Crosby but I think that this team is a lot better than they played yesterday I think they're going to play better I think they're a dangerous team the question is is this team with the pressure that they have on them this year is that pressure going to be on them now this year to be one of the favorites where they're not going to come out strong and they're not going to play well and it's going to make them even worse as a team? That's going to be the question that only the Islanders are going to have to answer. We have seen this for teams yeah. when the pressure is on them, they don't play well. And the Islanders are expected to be a Stanley Cup competitive team this year. They're the same team they were last year, one goal away from going to the Stanley Cup Finals. Back-to-back years in Eastern Conference Championship against the Tampa Bay Lightning, who, by the way, did did not look good in game one either. With they all the yesterday either. We knew that this is not going to be the same Tampa Bay Lightning team. They lost a lot of players in the offseason. Very important players. One of them went to the Rangers, Goudreau. So this is what happens. The Islanders kept the same team and they added players. Good veteran players and some young players too. So the Islanders are expected to be better than they were last year with all the signings that they've had, Speed. You brought up a good point too with the pressure of being more of a favor. And again, where they finish is to be determined still. The it's so early. One is, game. Yeah. Come on. The Metropolitan. Metropolitan division is very good. It can go in many different combinations with the Capitals, with the Hurricanes, with the Penguins. Philadelphia could be a lot better this year. It could go many different ways. And you're right, because there are teams that definitely do that where they're better as an underdog. The Sabres won one game, and everybody's talking about how they won the one game, and they're in first place in the Atlantic division. And everybody's like, well, look at the Sabres. Do you think the Sabres are going to be a good team this year? They're good for a month.
month every year and then fall off. Come on, guys. yeah, come on. Yeah, just relax. But going back to what I was saying with the underdog versus the favorite, Nashville was like that. After they went to the Cup as an eight seed, they as one seed and a two seed the next two years, they didn't do much in the playoffs. Colorado's kind of getting that vibe too. They're good as an underdog for a while. Now they're all of a sudden starting to be the new great regular season team that falls apart. And even Carolina last year, division champions, and then they lost in the second round against the Tampa Bay Lightning and did not look any good. They weren't even competitive with them. I think they lost in five games. So certain teams are just better in that kind of role. So it'll definitely be an adjustment for the Islanders if that circumstance does happen because they've been the underdogs, the wild card, and the three seed last year and the four seed the, the year after. So what kind of role will that put on them. Barry Trotz has had a lot of favorites in the past with Washington. Now, granted, Washington chokes every year, except for their cup run. But still, is it going to be a difference for them? Because he did well at Nashville in the playoffs when they were kind of underdogs, too. They won a couple of playoff series. I believe they went to a Western Conference Finals. So it'll be definitely an adjustment if that's the case. The Islanders are going to travel a lot in the first month of hockey. You have to watch how they were positioned this week, especially in game number one, and they were showing the flights and where they're going in the next month. Oh, travel distance. They're going to be traveling a lot. With all the traveling, it's going to cause a lot of sleeping habits and, and certain things. It's going to affect their gameplay. But as the season progresses, the Islanders are always figure things out. And they go on these 10, 8 game winning streaks and they start to move past all these teams. I think the Penguins could be good this year if they can get healthy. The Blue Jackets will definitely be a threatening team. Hurricanes are always a threatening team. They're going to be good. They're very well coached. They have a good GM. Remember, John Davidson's back with the Blue Jackets. And the Flyers, who haven't played yet, or the Devils, both teams are expected to be pretty good this year, too, as well, with some of the acquisitions they made. So as far as the Rangers are concerned, I know they've lost two games in a row, and there's 80 games left. There's a lot of hockey left. And I know Ranger fans want to jump off a bridge and say, trade Panarin, like the Beef said the other day, and, <laughs> which I think is outrageously crazy. Now, do I think Panarin is the best player on the Rangers? you got to be a great two-way player to be considered the best player on the team. Tyler says Panarin is the best player on the team, a top-five player. He is not a top-five player because he's not a good defensive player. So when I look at the top players in the league, if you don't play two-way hockey, you're not a top-five, top-ten player. Now, Panarin is a top-15 player, absolutely is. Offensively, he's probably one of the most talented offensive players in the league. But you can't depend on offense if you expect to win Stanley Cups, as the Rangers have proven year in and year out, especially by the end of the season. The Rangers need defense. They need to play better defense and need to find defensemen that are actually going to play in this offense, this defense, to make this team better. Now, Gerard Gallant is a good coach. The problem with Gerard is over the last couple of years, he's been coaching the junior team. He hasn't been in the NHL. He has been successful in the NHL. We've seen what he did with the Las Vegas Knights, but he's never won. And when you look at the Rangers, the Rangers are not expected to just get into the playoffs. They're looking to win. And what we've seen in the first two games is the Rangers have not played up to the standard where Ranger fans want them to play. And Chris Drury, I think it was a mistake. I think they should have kept John Davidson. But they went with the younger guy, the newer guy. We're going to see where Drury is and what this team is this year. If Drury doesn't get this team in the playoffs or squeak into the playoffs, I think it's going to be proven to be a huge mistake for the Rangers on why they shouldn't have fired John Davidson. 
I think Drury's offseason as a whole, I've mentioned, was average, but will it be enough to take the leap now that the Metropolitan Division is back, rearranged to its normal This self, is a good division, gonna, by yeah, the way. That's going to be very tough. You're going to have to hope that a Penguins team or a Capitals team, maybe one of those veteran teams falls off. Maybe the Flyers aren't the offseason darlings that we thought they would be, bouncing back after last year being bad. Now, in terms of the first two games, there's a lot of flaws that the Rangers have had so far. I think offensively possessing the puck is one of them because the Rangers have always been known for building this young offensive depth. And to a certain extent in David Quinn's system, they did a good job possessing the puck. Didn't make their defense good, but it made them not like egregiously bad 30th in the league like some defenses because they possessed the puck. Now, this the first two games, they've had a lot of trouble with that. Now, Washington's defense is pretty good. The Stars' defense is very good. Now, maybe that has something to do with it, but still, maybe it has something to do as well with these players either impulsively shooting or impulsively passing, which has never been the Rangers' problem. The Rangers never impulsively shoot whatsoever, but still, I think the Rangers' offensive flow, creativity, is definitely flawed so far the first couple games, which is surprising considering the amount of young talent they're supposed to have. Also, their goaltending has not looked good. Everybody thinks the circuit is the next up-and-coming Henrik Lundqvist. He needs to produce. They need to produce. And goaltending is so very important. I've taken my shots at Sorokin. Sorokin did not look good for the Islanders in game number one. Do I think this is Sorokin? No. I think he's a much better goaltender. I think he's going to play better as the season progresses, as well as I believe the Ranger goaltenders are going to play better. But the problem with the Rangers is defense. And going into the season, I've said this last season, what do the Rangers need to do? Fine defensemen. They didn't do it again this year. What scares you about the Rangers is not the fact that they can't put the puck in the net. What scares you, are they able to stop the offenses that they're going to play against so far in the last two games against the Dallas Stars? And let's be honest, the Dallas Stars are an old man's team. They should have whipped Dallas's butt. We know what the Capitals are, but guess what? The Capitals are an old team too. You play two old teams, they shouldn't have kept up with you. You are the faster team. Why are they outskating you? Why are they outscoring you? There is some concern for the Rangers. Because if they can't beat a team by overscoring against them, well, then what are they going to beat them with? Yeah, as this defense is going to progress into the season, they're going to have to possess the puck more as a result, even if it means making those extra passes too. But be creative with it. Just make seven passes for no reason and then don't do anything with it either. And that's the problem the Rangers' offense has had for years, no matter who's been the coach, whether it's Tortorella, Vigneault, even David Quinn to some extent. Got to be creative passing too. Make it work and just possess the puck more. The defense isn't going to be a strong point and... It's going to improve maybe as the young players get developed more in this system. But right now, everyone's new at once outside of Fox and Truba and Miller. Those are really the only three. New line mates, everything going together in, in a more physical system for Gallant. But still, something you got to realize with these offensive players is puck possession matters a lot in an analytic era of hockey, too. So they have to make those adjustments. Again, two good defensive teams so far that they've played. But like you said, two older teams that I'm surprised they wouldn't skate more around and try to create more shots with. Dallas is a very good defense and has some good young defensemen, but their offensive players are all older. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to get into some football. The New York Jets, week six, new. It is a bye week for them, so we will not see the Jets play, but we will see the Giants. And what do the Giants do? They need this game really, really bad. Is Daniel Jones playing? Is Kenny Galladay playing? We know Saquon Barkley isn't playing. Is Thomas playing? The injuries are building up for the New York Giants. What does Big Blue need to do? And we are going to do our weekly picks, as always, as I am in the lead. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will get into NFL football here on the Weekend Crunch. (laughs) 
We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. That is DMX, ladies and gentlemen. May he rest in peace. I'm your host, Cheryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy Damn Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday. If the Islander game is not live, we will be on at 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. If the Islander game is live, we will be on at 10.30. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday. And remember, this is brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Well, I, I will say this. We're not talking about the Kardashians. We're not really getting into some of the crazy stuff that's going into the world. And there's a lot of crazy stuff going on. So sit back, relax, and enjoy some sports conversation with me and Speedy Petey. So let's get into this NFL season. And I will get into the Jets first because every time you have your bye week, it's really the first half of the season for those teams. And the Jets, after week six, have been a disappointment. We talk about the offense, Zach Wilson, and and I, I've read a lot of things that Zach Wilson said. He's going to go back to Utah. He's going to start watching film. He's going to try to get back into confidence and get ready for the second half of the season. What we've seen with Zach Wilson early in the season is a young quarterback that makes mistakes, sometimes doesn't know or doesn't feel comfortable in the pocket because the offensive line can't protect him, and also forces the ball in windows. We've seen this before with Sam Donald, Mark Sanchez. Geno Smith, it scares you. Now, what we have seen from this kid is he's not afraid to step into the pocket and make the throws. He's not afraid to make a mistake and go out there and try to toss the ball and get the ball in the right position, in the right hands with the right players. We have also learned that this guy is good with the press, understands how to entertain the press, win or losing a game. Now, with Mike LaFleur, I don't really want to hear about Mike LaFleur being that this offense is hard to understand. It takes a little while for a quarterback to understand it. Mike LaFleur said Zach Wilson is the fastest learning quarterback he's ever worked with or ever been around with. And he's been around a lot of good quarterbacks because he's jumped so many different places with his brother, with Robert Sala, and he's a young offensive coordinator. I think he's like 33, 34 years old. Mm -hmm. But what we've seen with Mike LaFleur is an utter embarrassment of an offensive team, which is the worst in almost every single category. We've seen this already. Adam Gase. And if we try to compare Mike LaFleur by the end of the season with Adam Gase, I'm going to throw up. I do not want to compare Adam Gase to Mike LaFleur. I expected Mike LaFleur to show up and do his job this year, bringing Kyle Shanahan's disgusting offense to this Jet team. Mike LaFleur at least is going to rely on a 37-year-old running back to do everything for him. So I guess you have that going for you. But besides that, yeah, Mike LaFleur, his offense has been a little too rotational for my liking. I know they have a lot of offensive depth, and that's what they're going to pride themselves on. But when you have offensive players that are struggling, it seems like they're being used in the wrong roles. That has to go on Mike LaFleur and that offensive scheme. And I think in this game, you definitely saw a lot of it. They weren't spreading the ball around as well as they could. They were trying to force-feed Corey Davis at times, and they were trying to force-feed Jamison Crowder in the first half, and that didn't work. And in the second half, they got it going a little better. They almost came back and won the game. They got it to a one-possession game. But the Falcons were dominating every phase of the game defensively for most of that game. So that's a bad sign when your offense can't get it going against a defense that outside of Deion Jones and Grady Jarrett really doesn't have much. So you're working with a lot of different 
tools that should be good for the Jets' offensive skill players, and you're misusing them, that's a big problem on you. Zach Wilson has played well when he has been protected, played well outside of the pocket, but the offensive line, too, even so, against outside of Grady Jarrett, a team that doesn't have much pass rush, really didn't look great either. So that's a big concern for the Jets going forward. The game plan should have been spread the ball around more, and it really didn't show. And where is Denzel Mims? I don't want to hear this anymore in the second half of the season. Every time you throw this kid the ball, he catches it. He has made two catches this year, one for almost 40 yards and the other one for almost 25, 30 yards. How is this guy not getting the ball? I don't want to hear it from Robert Sala that he doesn't understand the offense. He's not a slot receiver. We don't know what he is. And I want to hear it from Mike LaFleur that he just doesn't fit the offense right now and he still needs to figure things out. This is a kid that is a second-round draft pick. He's long. He's fast, and he can jump. I don't want to hear it anymore. This guy should be on the field. There should be four wide receivers on the field because this offense is not prolific. They can't run the ball. Michael Carter Jr. has played very well, but they're not getting consistent running. And if you're not getting consistent running, you're not going to win especially in this offense where it's run first, play action, throw second. By the way, this play action has to stop with Zach Wilson. He needs to see the field more. I think they need to set him up in shotgun, and I think he needs to understand what shotgun is and rushing plays and putting the plays on the field where he can speed it up, see the plays, and make the plays. He has not done that. It's been an embarrassment as far as the offense is concerned. As far as the defense, this defense has really played well this year. I think they're ranked 11th now. They didn't have a very good week last week. But in the second half, they shut down Atlanta Falcon team that completely destroyed them in the first half. And if the Jets play like they did in the second half really all year, who knows? The Jets could have two wins because of their defense and be a playoff contending team. But they're not. And now they're one in four. They're not making the playoffs. They're probably going to get a top prospect. They're probably going to get Seattle's top prospect. And they might be good next year because they still have money and they still have draft stock that's going to help them out. Yeah, next year has always been that kind of transitional year for the Jets. Like, next year is supposed to be the big one. And this year, you're definitely seeing some great things with that defense, too. Now, this game maybe should have game-planned a little better for Kyle Pitts. But Kyle Pitts, it was only a matter of time before he got going. He was a fourth overall pick for a reason. An athletic freak for a tight end. Could play wide receiver. Could be a slot guy. Could line up anywhere. So it was only a matter of time before he got going. But still, I thought they could have had a little more adjustments to him, maybe. And they did maybe in the fourth quarter. But that was really it. And in terms of the rest of the defense, they played very well. Got better against the run the last two weeks. Weeks, which was their biggest weakness the first time. Elijah Veritucco's looked good, too, the last two weeks. He's mm-hmm. been one of the top five guards in football. Yeah. That's a good sign for the Jets because Elijah Veritucco is going to be there for a long, long time. This guy needs to produce, and he's starting to show you that he could be good. When Mekhi Beckham comes back, and a lot of people believe he'll be back week seven, if he comes mm-hmm. back, you're talking about possibly your future left side of the field. You move Font to the other side, and maybe this offensive line starts playing better and makes Zach Wilson feel more comfortable in the pocket. And you wonder, too, if because Elijah Vera Tucker is more of a movement-type guard, a faster guard that could go outside on those more exotic running plays and block like that, you wonder if maybe because Mekhi Beckham's been out, maybe him being in that kind of role is better for him. Maybe him being more more of that raw blocker while Beckton was trying to be that outside blocker didn't suit him well. So maybe now having both of them, when Beckton comes back, be that kind of role and then having their other interior guys be 
their typical interior roles. Maybe that's better for what the Jets' offense needs. And they definitely, as a result, looked a little bit better because of that. Now, their running game still has to be better inside, too. But I think that's also play calling as well. I think they're using guys in the wrong roles when it comes to their running backs. Michael Carter and Tevin Coleman are both outside guys being used inside too much. They're not really using the inside backs that they have inside to what they need to be. And even Zach Wilson, when he's run, he's been more him creating it rather than more designed place for him to be able to roll out and do bootlegs and stuff like that. It's going to be very interesting in week number seven when the Jets come back, what Zach Wilson is, what this offense is going to be. This offense needs to figure out how to keep on the field. They're getting outdueled and outplayed by almost every single team. And all the teams are outrunning this team. You're talking about the Broncos. Atlanta outran them. You need to start outrunning the oppositions, especially in Kyle Shanahan's offense, Sean McVay's offense. It's run first, play action, throw second. You are not going to win in a West Coast offense, except if you're Patrick Mahomes or Andy Reid, who's an absolute genius in an offense, and figure out how you find the slants and the weaknesses in a defense. It's not going to happen with this Jet team because you have a rookie offensive coordinator. You have a rookie coach. I like Robert Sal. I like what Robert Asala has to say, but stop making excuses. There is no excuses. Stop blaming it on people. The responsibility is you to be the teacher. So I want to see Robert Sala step up. I want to see this team step up. I want to see this offensive line take that next step where I expect next year, if you add another offensive lineman, maybe in the draft, with all the draft stock that they have, or maybe in free agency, it solidifies this offensive line to be a dominant offensive line for Zach Wilson. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will get into Big Blue, and we will get into our picks of the week. It's going to be fun as Errol will dominate, as always, here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks. My co-host, Speedy Dampede. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday after the Islander game at 10.30 p.m. Or if the Islander games aren't playing, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World's Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app. Application store iOS, which is Apple, WWSRN as in Nancy. Or you can go to Android Droid application store and you put in World Wide Sports Radio Network. And all you got to do is pop it on and look for us. You can read our stories, watch our shows, interact with us on all our social medias. So it's definitely very hands-free for all the fans out there for all ages. Why don't we get into the big blue? And I felt bad for Daniel Jones last week when he got hit, when he was stumbling. I thought he was going to fall and die. He did not look healthy. There was bubbles coming out of his nose and his mouth. And now you're hearing that he might play this week. I've been very surprised. A concussion protocol, you usually sit him out for at least a week to pass all concussion protocols. I was very surprised that you're hearing stories that he could play this week. Kenny Galladay gets hurt. Obviously, Saquon Barkley. And the human joystick, uh, a guy that Speedy did not think was any good. I don't care what he said. I says. didn't say any good. I said not a first-round pick. Kadarius Toney has been sensational. The last two games, last week he had 180 yards. Looked really, really good. He's got to do it consistently. Right. But in the last two weeks, he's looked really, really good. The Giants did play 
a horrible team last week. Not offensively, but defensively in the secondary. Besides Diggs, I don't trust that defense in the secondary. And by the way, at one point, Diggs was playing Kadarius Tony and couldn't stop him. You see what Kadarius Tony could be. Maybe he could be a poor man's Odell Beckham. And if he's a poor man's Odell Beckham, when he was at the top of his game, you definitely got something. And I think the Giants found their number one guy. I think he's going to be their number one guy. I think he's going to win that number one job by the end of this season. And Kenny Galladay overpaid number two, $76 million. Guy can't stay on the field, and he doesn't play well when the pressure is on him. I think Kadarius Tony likes the pressure, played in Florida. He really is a human joystick. Jeff is right about him. He breaks tackles. He really could be a running back slash wide receiver. I've been very impressed with Kadarius Tony. He's not big either. Fun to watch. And I think when Daniel Jones comes back, if he comes back this week, it's only going to put this team in more position to succeed. All the Giant fans, stop attacking Daniel Jones. It's not his fault that he got a concussion last week. I'm worried about them rushing him back, though, because this is like the first like significant, significant injury. And concussion is definitely for somebody that's taken a lot of hits throughout his career. Definitely could accumulate over time. So I'm a little worried rushing him back against the Rams. You're probably not going to be anyway, even if Daniel Jones was playing. So I don't really like that decision. If he plays, he's a trooper. Good for him. Daniel Jones, hopefully he plays well in that kind of instance, but I am definitely concerned about that. In terms of Kadarius Tony, the one thing that's going to be interesting this week is because now he's gotten two sample size of attention where he hasn't been guarded. You mentioned Diggs at once, but mainly hasn't been guarded by a top corner. Are the Rams going to use Jalen Ramsey on him rather than on Kenny Galladay? And Kenny Galladay, because he's been more of a short route guy this season and really only has been good on third downs. He was great in that fourth quarter against the Saints, but that's really been his only flashes so far this season. Are they going to use Jalen Ramsey more on Kadarius Toney? And also, will coaching staff for the Giants be able to adjust if they start shadowing him like that? Will they maneuver him around? Even with Saquon out, maybe they put him in the backfield too because he can line up as a running back, because he can line up as a slot receiver. Maybe they put him in motion a lot of times. The Giants' motion, they don't use a lot of it, but maybe they'll be forced to have to if Jalen Ramsey starts to shadow Kadarius Tony, and we'll see if the Rams make that kind of adjustment because Tony's had that kind of success. Galladay is the bigger guy, physical guy, for a corner like Ramsey to guard, but because of Tony's success, especially after the catch, too, you wonder if he'll have that kind of presence on Kadarius Tony. And Kadarius Tony, after the catch this season, already sixth in the NFL, playing just technically three games, but mainly just two games because he barely got any snaps in week one. So that's already an impressive sign. He's breaking tackles from linebackers, too. It's not just corners, and that's very impressive. It's both the Cowboys and the Saints that are both good course. Let's get into some of week six games. As far as I'm concerned, there are a couple of games that really stand out to me. And we were just talking about the Giants this week against the Rams. This is going to be a very, very hard game for the Giants to win. The Rams are coming into New York pretty hot, 4-1. and one, Lost one game against Kyla Murray and that Arizona undefeated Cardinals team. Matthew Stafford is an MVP candidate. Henderson is back. He ran the ball very well last week. They have great weapons like Cooper Cup. And how are the Giants going to stop this prolific offense? Now, their secondary been subpar at best. I expected the secondary to be a dominant force, adding Jackson this offseason. Bradbury was very good last year as well. I wanted to see what this secondary was going to be. I thought this could have been one of the best secondaries in football, but they have not produced. They have not played well, and you see the difference. They need to produce in this game. If the Giants have any chance to beat the Rams, they need to shut down this prolific offense. Bradbury's been really 
really bad the last three weeks, too. And it's definitely concerning with him allowing big plays, getting more penalties. And I was a little concerned with that because he had that weakness in certain years in Carolina. But consistently, the way he played last year and the way he played the first three games, he was looking like his Pro Bowl self from last year. And all of a sudden, it's not been the case. He's back to his flaws. And that's a big problem for a Giants secondary that is questionable in certain areas, too. They have safeties that are decent, but they're kind of specialists. Jabril Pepper's not really a coverage guy. Logan Ryan, not really a big hitting type, even though they did have that nice forced fumble against the Broncos in week one. So Bradbury's kind of that guy that is the most well-rounded guy or should be, and he hasn't been that way either. And we don't have the great pass rush either. Outside of Ojalari, has had a lot of trouble this year. Your secondary is not going to look as good and be able to help them out in a way. Is it starting to worry Kansas City fans that they're two and three? This is a season that a lot of people thought they were going to have a prolific year. I heard Patrick Mahomes before the season started that he's expected to be going for an undefeated season. Well, they're far from undefeated. They've lost three games already this year. This defense has been horrible. I believe their defensive coordinator could be on his way out by the end of this game. If Washington beats the Chiefs in Washington this week, I can absolutely see Spagnola on his way out. I know the Chiefs have been to the Super Bowl back-to-back years. I know that a lot of people think that the Chiefs, if they squeak into the playoffs, they're going to be very dangerous. This isn't the same Chiefs team. It was expected to regress because they lost a lot in the offseason, too. I don't know if you could completely blame Spagnola for it. Between losing all the secondary pieces they did. Uh, but they blame the defensive coordinators. You need a scapegoat, obviously. Sometimes it's a misleading narrative, though, because the GM, Brett Veach, because they gave out so much money to the offensive line, obviously they gave Mahomes the record-setting contract. They've had to shed a lot of defensive players as a result. And outside of Chris Jones, outside of a couple players in the secondary, that's pretty good. And Jaron Reed has played well, too, on the interior. They really have been flawed all over the place on this defense and it's not just slightly getting worse it's getting badly worse I know people are saying oh the Chiefs will be fine their defense has been bad before <laughs> it hasn't been this bad at least when they were bad in 2018 they could rush the passer Justin Houston Tom Bahali D Ford and they had safeties that were pretty good this defense they don't have any of that Frank Clark just came back he hasn't really gotten his feet wet yet what's going on that's... with Tyree Kill Tyree Kill is weird epitome this year he's had two Stop phenomenal going on games YouTube. <laughs> I'm tired of watching you open your mouth and say the things, I'm the best wide receiver in football. You're not even the top 10 wide receiver in football right now. You're not playing good football. And don't blame it on Patrick Mahomes because he's trying to get you the ball. I think Mahomes has played well. He just had guys dropping, passing, and fumbling all the time. They can't run the ball either. Hardman, Demarcus Robinson, all these guys are dropping passes left and right. I think Mahomes has actually played well this season amidst all these weird circumstances that you don't normally see out of the Chiefs offense. And Tyreek Hill, he's had two great games and then three games where he's disappeared completely. It's very weird out of him. I would be worried if I was the Kansas City Chiefs because if they lose this game and they go two and four early in the season. I don't know if they're going to get into the playoffs because the Chargers who are going into Baltimore this week, this is going to be the game of the week. The Chargers are a lot of people's favorite to come out of the division. They've been dominant. Justin Herbert, this defense, a top three defense all around. They've been fantastic. Lamar Jackson's an MVP candidate as well as Justin Herbert. Two teams that are four and one. One of these teams are going to lose or maybe they die. This is a game that really stands out to me and I'm excited for this game, Speedy. Yeah, this This is one of the weird years for the Ravens where their defense is actually down in comparison to where we normally see them. And their offense has played very well in different ways. Because remember, all those running back injuries they had at the start of the year outside of Brown, they lost their top two receivers for the first three weeks. So they've had to throw the ball a lot more. And the passing volume for Lamar Jackson has been a lot higher than we've seen it before. Even in his MVP year, he didn't have a lot of passing yards. He had a lot of passing touchdowns, but didn't have the same amount of passing yards. Now he's top five in passing yards. What an amazing comeback he had Monday night against the Colts, too. 
25 to 9, they're down against that defense in the fourth quarter. Two two point conversions and then winning it in overtime. So many great passes in that game. And the Chargers, yeah, we've seen it with Justin Herbert all year, making a lot of great throws, spreading the ball around really well. Rebirthed Mike Williams for the prospect he's supposed to be when they drafted him seventh overall. Austin Eckler's probably outside of Derrick Henry's had the best year of any running back this season. And that offensive line has been phenomenal as well. So the Chargers now, they're looking into that well rounded category of a top five team in the league right now. And my problems with them always in winning close games. They're doing that this year, too. Well, rookie coach, I don't think this is going to be a year of Super Bowl. No, but, but I would say so far they've been a top five they're team. Gonna, they're going to make a run. I think they have the quarterback. If Justin Herbert actually stays healthy, he might even be better than Philip Rivers. And Philip Rivers is a mm, Hall of Famer. I could see it, yeah. Kyler Murray and the Browns, with all the injuries the Browns are dealing with right now, I can't see Kyler Murray and this high-flying Arizona Cardinals team, who, by the way, did not have a great week last week. I do not see the Cardinals losing this game. I got to give Baker Mayfield a lot of credit. He's taking a lot of writs with his non-throwing arm, with his labrum tear, and he should be sitting out and maybe getting surgery and ending his season, but he's standing in the pocket. He's taking a beat. He's still putting up points, so I got to give him a lot of credit, but Landry's not healthy. Odell Beckham still hasn't really bursted where everybody thought he was going to burst this year. There's nothing that really stands out with me, and by the way, Chubb and Hunt are not healthy, so. Yeah, Chubb's already out. This is definitely going to be a scary game against a great defense like the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah, this will be an interesting test for the Browns if they could actually get their outside game going because it's been more tight ends and running backs, obviously, with the duo, which is the best in the league, getting them involved. But the Cardinals' defense, that's been their strength, has been more in the middle. Great interior pressure, not only from J.J. Watt, but also Zach Allen has played very well, their third-year player. Three middle linebackers have all played great this year with Simmons, with Jeff's boy, Zayvon Collins, and Jordan Hicks as well have all played very well. Buda Baker, one of the best, if not the best safety in football. So, you're dealing with a case where the Cardinals, if you're going to beat them, you have to spread it around. And Cleveland, with their receiving injuries, that's going to be very hard for them to do. But Baker did play very well last week. I gave him a lot of credit. The way they hung tough with the Chargers, they lost not because of their offense, because of their defense mainly blowing in the fourth quarter. So if can have that kind of game, maybe they could steal it. It'd be an interesting battle. He's going to get paid in the offseason. I can't see the Browns giving up on Baker Mayfield the way he's played this year. He's done everything that he's supposed to do and keeping his team in it. The Cowboys and the Patriots, which I love this because Jeff, who's a big Patriot fan, and the Beef, these guys have been going at it for years. Jeff thinks the Patriots are not as good as they've been over the years. He thinks that the Cowboys are for real this year, which is very surprising. (laughs) Dak Prescott's for real. This offense is for real. And this defense has played remarkably well. And Diggs is slowly but surely a second-year player becoming one of the best corners in football. I think he's got five or six interceptions already early in the season. He has more than, I think, all but three teams or something like that. It's ridiculous. He's played sensational. He's going to be up for Defensive Player of the Year. It's a sensational story. And Mike McCarthy, who I thought was going to be fired at the end of the year, well, unless the Cowboys have a catastrophical bad second half of the season, he's been very impressive. Could be Coach of the Year. It's an amazing story. The Patriots, I expect the Patriots to be in this game because it's Bill Belichick and he will figure things out and he'll try to stop the best player and make the second and third best player beat him. Mm-hmm. He stops CeeDee Lamb. Amari Cooper's got to wake up. Right. Gallup is not in this game. Zeke's got to play hard. You know they like to stop the run and the Patriots love to dig into the run. This is going to be a fun game to watch. Cat and mouse mm-hmm. with Bill Belichick and Dak 
Prescott. It'll be interesting, too, because Amari Cooper in his career against the Patriots so far has been the guy that's been targeted by Bill Belichick to be the guy that double teamed or shut down by Stephon Gilmore. I think two years ago when they met in New England, I think Cooper only had one catch and then he fumbled off of it at the end of the game or something like that. And then with the Raiders, he had a, lot, a tough time in that one, too. But I actually agree with you. I think C.D. Lamb is going to be the guy that gets more attention because he's now more the quicker type guy. And the Patriots have always done well with smaller, quicker type receivers. Not that Lamb isn't great for his size, physical guy, but still, the Patriots have always had that kind of game plan. So I think the Cowboys, you'll see a lot of running in this game from them between Zeke and Pollard. The Patriots always like to let teams run and stop them when they need to type thing, and they'll try to shut down Lamb. And it'll be interesting to see if their pass rush could do well against the Dallas offensive line that played well, but it's still not what it used to be. Speedy, are you ready for the picks? Oh, yeah. All righty. So we'll start with that Bills-Titans game. Monday night football, the over-under is 53.5. Go ahead, Speedy. Uh, I'm going to take the Titans. I'll take them on the under. I think this defense is better than they're playing right now. I know they're playing against Jacksonville last week doesn't say much, but I think the Titans do play well in this game. I think Buffalo has a bit of a letdown after that big win against the Chiefs. I think the longer break between the games I think will hurt them just a little bit. I think Stefan Diggs plays well in this game for Buffalo, as does Josh Allen, but I think the Titans offense finally gets it going as well to be more well-rounded than they've been in the past, and I think they'll do just enough. Everyone will do a little bit, so I'll take the Titans on the under. I like A.J. Brown. I like Julio Jones, who probably are going to play in this game. Derrick Henry is going to be able to run. I think the Buffalo Bills are going to keep in this game because of their defense. Josh Allen has to prove when it comes down to the nitty and the gritty, is he going to beat the top teams in the football? He has done that year in and year out. He hasn't done it in the playoffs. I think this is the Titans game to lose, being that they're the home team. I think Derrick Henry still can run against this defense. I think they're going to control the clock. And the Titans defense, like you said, Speedy, are a lot better than people think they are. Give me the Titans on the under. All right, Cardinals at the Browns. The over-under is 49.5. I'm going to take Arizona in this game. I'll take them on the over. I think the fact that Kyler Murray can run against a 4-3 defense, it's not really an outside rushing defense. I think he'll get a lot of rushing yards in this game, even though he is questionable. I think they'll be able to make a difference He's in playing. that. And I think the way that he spread the ball around against a Brown secondary that's been pretty good but has been banged up a lot of the time too, I think they'll be able to make that kind of thing work. And Cleveland, do they have enough outside? I'm a little worried about that against a, a Cardinal secondary that's better than they were last year but still not overly deep. So I'll take Arizona on the over. Uh, first of all, Kyler Murray is playing. He's not going to ruin his undefeated season. This Cardinal team believes that maybe they can go undefeated this season the way they're playing. Good luck in that division. Hey, listen, they're playing dominant football right now and nobody can stop them. Even in a bad game, they couldn't be stopped. I like the Arizona Cardinals in this game. I like Kyler Murray, obviously my favorite player in this league. I think they can run the ball. I think they can throw the ball. They have one of the best defenses in football. With the Browns, with the injuries that they have, they can't run the ball. I don't think they're going to be able to run the ball because there's no Chubbs and there's no Hunt. Odell Beckham, a lot of the pressure is going to be lean on him and Baker Mayfield's arm, and his right arm is still teared on his labor. Not his throwing arm. He played well last week. Give me the Cardinals on the over. And Chargers at the Ravens, over under 51.5. I'm going to take the Chargers, and I actually think this is going to be semi-blowout. The Ravens have two big flaws this year on defense, and Austin Eckler and Mike Williams, I think, will definitely be able to expose them. They struggled against pass-catching backs this year, and bigger-bodied receivers with big plays, and both of those guys have been two of the best in the league at doing that this season. And the Chargers defense being an outside-rushing defense, I think, could Tain Lamar Jackson when it comes to him running the ball. So I think the Chargers win. I think they win by double digits. It's very close. I'll take them on the under, though. I trust the defense. I don't think this is going to be a blowout. It's in 
Baltimore. Baltimore usually plays well in Baltimore. They don't lose. How many times has Lamar Jackson lost in Baltimore since he's come into the league? I think once. I think they were both to Cleveland. So. I like the Chargers in this game. I like the way they're playing. I like their defense. They're going to be able to contain Lamar Jackson to an extent. I think Lamar Jackson's still going to be able to do the things that he does very well. So I think it's going to be close. But I think the Chargers are going to be able to control the clock. I like what Eckler is doing. I like their offense. Cook has been as good as any tight end in football, believe it or not. So give me the Chargers on the under. Free-for-all picks of the week. I'm up three. We both made the same pick. So no matter what happens, I should still be in the lead. <laughs> I guess so. Uh, right. It's going to be interesting. Maybe if I'll taste the Chargers on the over. I don't know. <laughs> My pick was 31 to 20, so it's right at 51. So maybe I'll change it. Maybe the Ravens go for two. <laughs> I got the Chargers on the under. Those are free-for-all picks. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, what do the Yankees do? What do the Mets do? I think the Mets have a lot more to do to make the playoffs next year. I think the Yankees need to make a couple of moves here and a couple of moves there. And Aaron Boone looks like he'll be back for one more year. When we come back, we will get into that here on the Weekend Crunch. Oh, we are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks. My co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday. If the Islander game is on live, we will be on at 10.30 p.m. If not, we are live at 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android World Wide Sports Radio Network. I couldn't stop laughing during the break what we were talking about, Speedy. Did and you enjoy it? I'm not it? disclosing any of that. Did you enjoy it? No. Why? I think it was a very funny. I'm not analyzing that now. Why? It would give you superpowers. Superheroes have alter egos. Superman's is Clark Kent. And that kind of stuff is not disclosed as much. Why can't I disclose it? I am not disclosing that on air and in public. I think the public should know how you became Of course you do. It's also very funny. (laughs) But I'm not going to do it on radio. But it's very interesting. If you listen to the sports lab bounds, maybe we'll talk about it. So there you go. I'm sure they will. But why don't we get into the Yankees because they need a lot of superheroes in their bullpen. Me, you, and Tyler the other night after the show, we were talking about where the Yankees could go in the bullpen that can really solidify the weakness of this team for the last two years. Now, if Aaron Boone comes back, the Yankees are going to have to bring back a significant amount of bullpen help. I'm talking about maybe three pitchers in that bullpen to solidify that bullpen. Now, obviously, they fired both their uh, batting coaches and their third base coach, Nevins, who absolutely screwed up against the ball. Boston Red Sox and cost the Yankees possibly a long inning and maybe a playoff run, forcing Aaron Judge to go home and a Giancarlo Stanton double off the wall, the Green Monster in the sixth inning. And the Yankees were only down by, I think, three runs. They could have yeah. came back into the game. That was very costly for the Yankees, and it might have been a different game if the Yankees didn't make that mistake. So they fired Nevins, they fired Thames, and now they're moving forward with Aaron Boone, but for how long? I don't think it's going to be more than a year. I think the Yankees will extend him to see what he can do now with this team if they add maybe one or two, maybe even four or five players in the offseason. I believe Hal Steinbrenner will give the Yankees a little bit more money so they can do that. Where do they go? What are they going to do with their infield? Now, obviously, with first base, they got to decide if Rizzo is going to be the guy or if they're going to go to free agency to find the guy to fill in that spot. Maybe they have somebody.
somebody in the farm system. Maybe they decide to bring back Voight. I think they will arbitrate Voight to bring him back because he's a good backup player. It's going to be very interesting where they go. The outfield is solidified. Brett Gardner's probably going to retire. They have a center fielder coming back from injury. So they're positioned pretty well because they are going to have Gallo come back this season because he has one more year left on his contract. They'll probably arbitrate him as well. But for a power left-handed hitter, pay him because he's cheap. The Yankees are solidified in the outfield with Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton and the players that they have. The infield, they're going to have to decide what they're doing with Labor Torres. Is he a consistent second baseman? When they moved into second baseman in the second half, he was batting 300. He was hitting for average. He was hitting for power. He was playing good defense. I think that's where he belongs, and I think that's where he will stay. Gio Urshela, I don't know what the Yankees are doing with him. They could bring him back with arbitration. He's not going to cost a lot, $4 million. Is he our everyday shortstop? I don't think this year he will be their everyday third baseman. I think that is DJ LeMayu's job with his defensive skill, and if he can stay healthy, he will be their everyday third baseman. But I think it's Volpe. I I think the young kid over there in their farm system, one of the top 15 players right now in all of baseball in the farm system, I think he is going to win the Yankees over early in spring training. He will go to AAA early. I think he'll be up probably before the second half of the season. He hits for power. He steals bases. He's one of the best defensive players at the shortstop position right now in double A. He's a five-tool player. Great player. We talk about Jason Dominguez, who was a top prospect in the beginning of the year. He's a top 20 prospect. He has fallen out of the top 20. And Volpe, who I think was 50th, moved all the way to 15th. And I think now he's 13th or 12th in all of baseball. Slowly moving up. Now, Jason Dominguez is going to be a nice player. I think it's just going to take him a little bit longer. He's a 17, 18-year old kid, but Volpe's 19 years old. I think he's figuring things out. I think the Yankees are positioned very well at that shortstop position in the future, and the catcher, they do not, and they should not, arbitrate Gary Sanchez. Let him go, trade him, do something with him, get something, get whatever you can for him. I think his time with the Yankees is done. I know Brian Cashman loves him, but Brian, he hasn't done anything. The guy can't catch the ball. It's time to bring in a veteran guy. If Perez is available, which he is, Mm -hmm. I don't know how much you're going to have to pay him. He had a sensational year. I don't think he's going to have 40 home runs if he comes to the Yankees, but maybe 30 or 25 for a catcher. He's still one of the best defensive catchers in baseball. If the Yankees want to spend a little bit money this offseason. Give him $40, $50 million. I think that's what he's going to get on the market, even if with the season that he had. He's not making $100 million. No catchers really get well, $100 no, million. Well, not at his age, no. No, I, I think he'll get $40 million. I think the Yankees should give it to him. Give him a three, four-year deal worth about $12 million a year for a catcher of his talent. Could really solidify that position. It'll help the pitchers out. You won't have to bring in a pitcher here and bring him in a pitcher there with a catcher. You could play him a significant amount of games this year. I think you really solidify your infield then. As far as their pitching is concerned, they need another starting pitcher. Now, Max Scherzer is a guy that would fit like a glove with the Yankees. Does he want to play in New York? That's the question. And Justin Verlander, who's going to be a free agent this year, he missed a whole year last year to Tommy John surgery. Verlander believes that he could still play in this league. Maybe the Yankees decide and take a flyer on Justin Verlander. Because guess what? Garrett Cole is there. They're two very close friends. I I think Verlander would fit with the Yankees. A power pitcher pitched very well in Yankee Stadium. Maybe the Yankees go after Justin Verlander. Hmm. So I think they need to get a starting pitcher. I don't think Corey Kluber is coming back. I think if you add one more pitcher, Savarino will be at 100% this year coming into spring training. That's good news for the Yankees because if you have Cole, Savarino, Verlander, or Scherzer, and Montgomery— 
you have arguably one of the best pitching staffs in all of the American League. Yeah, I think the Yankees need a lot of pitching depth in some regard because the Yankees were always more of a traditional. You also have the kid from Pittsburgh, too. Yeah, Tyone. Because they were such a traditional bullpen for a while, now it's going more towards a versatile bullpen, the new era of baseball. I think the Yankees need a lot of different types when it comes to guys that can maybe stretch innings. They need more, like, upgraded versions of Chad Green. A lot of those guys, they're the new wave of baseball. Starter-reliever hybrids, relievers that could stretch two innings, relievers that could be more than lefty specialists. They're going to need a lot of those types of guys. Starting pitching, too. Maybe they go after Verlander, and then they go after a couple youngsters, mm-hmm. something like that. They need more depth. I don't know if one flashy pitcher is exactly the answer, because they already have that with Garrett Cole. I think they need more of, can they build from the rest of the team and make it work? Because it's not the modern-type team. And the Yankees have it on the hitting front. They have a lot of guys that get on base. They have a lot of guys that hit home runs, obviously a big, powerful lineup, and again, analytically, that's that's what teams look for in today's game, but they also strike out a lot too, so the pitching-wise, I think they need to expand on that, and when it comes to Sanchez, yeah, probably try to trade him, dangle him, see what you can get for him, because he's regressed hitting-wise, too, not for power, but for batting average and on-base percentage, and after his first two seasons in the league, you expected to get better. It's not only gotten significantly worse, it's dropped off pretty badly. And you know Kansas City's not re-signing Perez. He's going to be too expensive. Yeah, I doubt it. Perez is going to be available. I think he's, what, 35? Before the last two years, he's been relatively durable, too. So that's something that's very rare out of a catcher to find. And the Yankees need that kind of thing when you have to expect other guys on their team outside of LeMahieu in that lineup. There are all a lot of injury-prone guys, Stanton, Judge, Glaber Torres. Guys like that have been hurt a lot. So they want to have some level of durability where you can say, all right, I don't have to trust the next Gio Urshela to break out out of nowhere type thing. As far as the Mets are concerned, the Mets have a lot of work to do this offseason. First of all, they need to find a GM, a guy that can run baseball operations because Sandy Alderson is done. I can't see Sandy Alderson sitting in position that he's in maybe one more year. I can't see it any longer than that. There was David Stearns which you wanted from Milwaukee. It doesn't seem like he's leaving a New York native. He loves what he's doing with Milwaukee. He loves Milwaukee. He thinks he can win with Milwaukee. He spoke out yesterday stating that he loves it here. His family loves it here. He has a lot of work to do over here. So I don't think he's going anywhere. There was Billy Bean that everybody was talking about. It doesn't seem like Billy Bean is heading over there with the New York Mets. It looks like it's going to be the Dodgers executives and Josh Burns or Brandon Gomes. Those are the guys. Those are the big names that seem to stand out for the Mets job. It's going to be very interesting this offseason on where the Mets go and how they decide where they're going with this roster. Javier Baez is the most important part of this roster in the offseason because they do not want to lose him. He is going to be a free agent, unrestricted. The Mets fans did not really like him. I don't know if that's going to hurt his decision to staying there, but Lindor is his best friend, or one of his best friends. I do believe Lindor and Pete Alonso can talk him into staying there, but it's going to be costly. The Mets are going to have to open up the pockets. This guy is one of the best infielders in baseball. I think he's better than Lindor. I think he should be the shortstop. I think Lindor should be the second baseman, but doesn't matter. They need to sign this guy. He is a very important piece if they plan to win in the National League East, especially the way the Braves have it set up, the way Philadelphia believes they're going to be next year. <laughs> if they could pitch. Wheeler looked really good this That's year. That's it, though. Fantastic. <laughs> That's it. Man. That's literally the only guy they had that was anywhere He could win the Cy Young this year. He really could. Uh, I don't know about Cy Young, but he definitely was top five in terms of performance in the National League this year, and really the only pitcher they had. Cy Young will probably be either Bueller or Burns. Yeah, well, I look at the Mets right now. they got to decide what they're doing with their outfield. Their corner outfield. 
positions are open. It's not their infield that you have to worry about. I right. think the Mets infield is pretty much set for the future. And, and they, they have, have some good coming up too. Yeah, they have a young third baseman that's going to be probably up sometime this coming year. By the way, that was another Van Wagening move where <laughs> he got lucky and Beatty fell to him where right. they thought he was a top five pick. Mm-hmm. But again, we've heard this by a lot of Mets draft picks and they all become busts. So We'll see what Beatty is, but he's been very, very good in double A. It looks like he is the guy and he is the future of the Mets third base position. So maybe that's why they didn't go after Chris Bryant. Well, Chris Bryant didn't want to be there. Maybe he made a mistake because the Giants didn't look too good against the Dodgers the other day. Well, I don't think one player would have solved all the Mets' woes they had in the second half of the season. If, even if they traded for Chris Bryant, I don't think that was the only guy. No, I don't believe that it was either. the only guy they needed. And I think they should again, have brought Baez and Chris Bryant. Yeah, in. that would have been nice. But I think the reason they didn't really need that is they have a lot of like hybrid corner infield, corner outfield types already where they were expecting, all right, we don't have this true well-rounded second baseman. Keep the crybaby off your team. I think among those platoon type guys, I think Dominic Smith is the guy I would want back the most just because if the DH comes in the National League at some point in the future. Isn't it next year? I don't know if it's definitively next year. It might be discussed, but if it is in the future, Pete Alonso could be a DH in certain games and Dominic Smith, who's actually very good defensively at first base, could play first base in those instances. Whereas J.D. Davis and Michael Conforto, those guys really don't have this one like specialty position where they could play. Conforto's all right in the outfield. J.D. Davis is bad on defense. So long, crybaby. Yeah, so I, I, don't, I don't want those two guys back. I'd rather have Dominic Smith back. Also a left-handed bat, which is a lot, a lot harder to find. Baez, I definitely want back. Even if you have to give him close to $200 million, do it's it. a lot of money for yeah, two players. do it. He's very well-rounded, durable. He's better than Lindor. I would put him at second base more just because of he's used to it more, and I don't want to break up what Lindor I'm talking has. about all-around players. I know you're saying that you want him as the shortstop. He could be. I, no, I think he has better not, range. I'm not saying he's not range. capable of it. I'm just saying he's more used to playing in his whole career where I don't know if you want to mess with that kind of thing for infield chemistry type thing. Mm. So I would keep it the way it is. But again, he's very well-rounded. Give him the money. I hope they don't have to overpay him too much because of the fans, but I don't think that's going to make a difference. And in terms of the GM, yeah, the Dodgers guys definitely now seem enticing because you look at the Giants, their GM in Ferrati, he came from the Dodgers organization too, and they rebuilt obviously drastically like we never thought before. Now, I'm not expecting that out of the Mets. That's, I think it's all fluke type thing for the Giants this year. You can't expect that kind of turnaround right away. But again, you want that kind of thing that could balance it out. The Giants had so many bad contracts. They had to deal with a very old team, and they found different pieces that they made work, pitchers that they rebirthed, and Kevin Gossman and Anthony Deslafani that were great prospects with their previous teams, and they rebirthed them, found something with them, and even some of their hitters that they found, too. And the Mets need a little bit of that, doing the little things. It's not just going to be with one player. It's not just going to be with spending a lot of money. It's going to be with balance, kind of like the Yankees, too. They need to find those modern things, and definitely situational hitting has been a flawed thing for the Mets for years. Playoffs have been very interesting, too. Who would have thought that the Red Sox and the Astros are going to the ALCS? I didn't have either of those teams in the playoffs to start the year. As a Yankee fan, that probably is the worst thing that could absolutely happen. because Uh, You're going to have to root for the Red Sox The two teams (laughs) that the Yankees absolutely can't stand. And I'm not rooting for any of those teams, honestly. because probably Braves. I I, I root for a National League team. I don't want to see any of those teams win because I don't want to hear it from those fans. But who would have thought that the Astros 
Astros with all the woes and all the stuff that's happened over the last couple of years, and the Red Sox bringing back Alex Cora. I can't really take shots at Alex Cora because he comes back and this team starts to win again. So that's managing, and he's a good manager. And this team is playing good, and I think they're dangerous. I think they're really dangerous. I got the Boston Red Sox in this series, and I don't want to see it. I'd rather see the Astros go to the World Series because I don't want to hear the Boston Red Sox fans. Boston's been sensational. They've played good baseball. They're getting timely hitting from players that they expected to give them timely hitting. So amazing. And and yeah. by the way, the Giants getting knocked out by the Dodgers. I disagree that that wasn't a strikeout by Max Scherzer. He checked swing. Who knows what could have happened right. if he got another swing at it. There was a man on base, Chris Bryant. Who knows? He hits a home run, wins the game, and the Giants are going to the NLCS. But the Braves are there. It's been a sensational year for the Braves with all the injuries that they've had, getting where they are. I think this is a Braves series to lose. Yeah, I do too. And it's weird. They were my World Series pick at the start of the year. Then I backed out on it and I picked the Brewers against them. And now the Braves are looking like this kind of redemption tour type team. We mentioned it earlier with the Islanders with mm-hmm. hockey. Some teams might just be better as the underdogs. And the Braves have really just embraced that underdog role all year. Favorites for a while. The last three years lost in the playoffs. They had that bad game five against the Cardinals. They collapsed out 3-1 last year against the Dodgers. And it's also a revenge factor too. The Braves against the Dodgers. I can absolutely see the Braves upsetting the Dodgers. The Dodgers have not been great in one run games. Their offense got exposed a little bit in the Giants series. Now, the Giants are better pitching than the Braves do, but the Braves pitching in the second half of the season was very good. Max Freed went back to his 2020 form, especially, and that's a good sign for the Braves. The Braves kind of have that Nationals feel. The Nationals all the years choking in the playoffs, 90-plus win seasons, 100-win season one year, and then all of a sudden they lose Bryce Harper, and their scrap heap guys start coming through. The random bullpen guys, the Braves lose Acuna in the middle of the season injury, and these new outfielders come through. These new bullpen guys come through. They got the trade deadline. It has a very Nationals feel to it. It's been a crazy, crazy playoff. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, Speedy, what do we got? The Beat Wars. Here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl March, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday if the Islanders are not live. Uh, if they are... 10.30 p.m. after the Islander game, after the press conference, or it will be live at 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9. The LI News Radio Network brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine of the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android. Worldwide Sports Radio Network. I've been waiting for this because I dominate every week. And by the way, I do it against Speedy, who plans these debates, okay? Sometimes a month in advance, too. <laughs> it's destruction time, ladies and gentlemen. Here we go. This is the debate hour. And now, in this corner, your host, Errol Mars. And in this corner, who gives a shit? All right, we'll start with some hockey this week. Better Devils defenseman, Scott Stevens or Scott Niedermeyer? Scott Niedermeyer, it's not even a question. Scott Stevens was a great hitter, a good defensive player, but 
Scott Niedermeyer was an all-around great defenseman. He could score on the power play, could bring the puck up, had a sensational career with the Devils, was a big part of those Stanley Cup championship teams. So was Scott Stevens, but Niedermeyer was the better all-around player. It's not even a question. Yeah, I love Scott Stevens too, but Niedermeyer I think was better fundamentally sound. Stevens obviously great hitting guy, fighting guy. Actually did have more points in his career too, but also played a lot more years. Mm-hmm. Uh, Niedermeyer's longevity too was pretty good with Anaheim too at the end of his career mm-hmm. as well. and helped Played with his brother. Yeah, uh-huh. I think that definitely gives him a little bit of a boost over Stevens. Very close between the two. Both phenomenal. Both. Do you know they spelt their names differently? Yeah. Their last names? Uh-huh. It I, doesn't make any I sense. I saw it at first, too. When I first saw that with Cop Team, the 2007 team, it was so weird when, when I saw that. I'm like, what? They spell it differently? Yeah. And they're related. They're I, I don't understand weird. it. But, but I, I agree with you. I'm going to go with Scott Niedermeyer. Uh, let's go to the NFL now. Better running back, Fred Taylor or Corey Dillon? Longevity, Corey Dillon. Fred Taylor, when he was at the top of his game, the three or four years, I would say Fred Taylor. He was fun to watch. Dominant player. Jacksonville Jaguars. Very good player. But Corey Dillon, he had a longer career. So if you want to go with the longer career, I'll go with Corey Dillon. I'm going to go with Fred Taylor because I don't think his longevity was really his fault. Maurice Jones-Drew broke out early in his career, and Fred Taylor was kind of alluded to the backup at that point. I don't think it was really his fault. He still is efficient as a backup player, still is scoring touchdowns. And in his prime, I think definitely was better. better he was. Re- better receiving back as a whole, too. I think played with some pretty good Jaguars teams stay healthy in the be- in the beginning of their existence too. I think that really helps when when you're an expansion team like that. Not that the Bengals were a better team than the Jaguars when Corey Dillon was there, but doing with an expansion team right away, I give him some credit. I'm going with Fred Taylor on that one. Let's go to the NBA. Better forward, Dominique Wilkins or Adrian Dantley? <laughs> Oh, it's Dominique Wilkins. I mean, the high-flying Dominique. We've seen him in the slam dunk contest. Hall of Famer. Dominant player. I think the best Hawk to ever play the game. Now, obviously, Trey Young has an opportunity to be the best player that we've ever seen out of the Atlanta Hawks. But Dominique Wilkins was the most prolific, fun, energetic player of Atlanta Hawks history. I'm going with Dominique. Yeah, I'm going with Dominique. Those dunks, I've watched some of his highlights of those dunks. Those dunks were incredible in-game, too. And Dominique Wilkins, the only thing he wasn't great at was a three-point shooter. But Dantley Nobody was, was in yeah, that Dantley, Dantley really wasn't either. Dantley was a little bit better of a, of a assist-per-game guy, but that was really it. Wilkins, I think his peak years are definitely a lot better, so I'm going to go with him as well. All right, who is a better first-base slash DH type who at one point played for the Houston Astros? Lance Berkman or Carlos Lee? I'm going to go with Lance Berkman. Lance Berkman, for like seven years, was one of the best power hitters in baseball. Ball. I don't know if he did steroids, and I'm not going to point my fingers that he did, but he was a sensational player. It was a big part of that when they won that championship. I'm going to go with Lance Berkman. Yeah, I'm going to go with Lance Berkman as well. His playoff numbers also were very good mm-hmm. in that 2005 run. He was also good with the Cardinals, too, that one mm-hmm. year he was there in 2011. Yep. They went to the World Series. Now, Carlos Lee, again, I can't hold it against him. He was only in the playoffs once. Lance Berkman was good in the playoffs and consistently good in the playoffs, too. Power hitter, Had too. a couple of years where he stole over 10 bases as well, which is rare for a corner outfielder first base type. Uh, the DH was like fat, he was by the way. Right. Later on. He, he was, was actually chubby. leaner when he came he was up. But yeah. He was Not fat. He was chubby. As a result, I'm going to go with Berkman as well. All right. Let's go back to football. Who was a better outside rushing linebacker, Joey Porter or Charles Haley? Oh, Joey Porter. I mean, Charles Haley was fun to watch, but Joey Porter was mean, funny, always got into trouble on the field. The Pittsburgh Steelers, when we talk about linebackers and guys, we want to remember with Farrier and Porter, he really solidified that defense. I know like Palomalu and all those other guys that you would bring up, people forget about Joey Porter, so I'm going to go with Joey Porter. I'm going to go with Joey Porter as well because he also did well in other aspects, not just as a pass rusher too, whereas Charles Haley, I think more was a pure pass rusher type. Now, 
granted, the roles were different back then where they had more specialty types. And both guys played on great teams, too, with Dallas and San Francisco with Haley and obviously the Steelers with that loaded defense. But Joey Porter did a little more. He could cover in the flats. Not great coverage guy, but he could cover in the flats a little bit. Better run stopper, in my opinion. And even with Arizona and Miami, when he played in 4-3 defenses, he was able to transform a little better. I'm going to go with Porter as well. All right, let's go to the NHL. Who's been better so far in their career? Braden Holpe or Sergei Bobrovsky? I'm going to go with Bobrovsky. Bobrovsky has done it longer. Sergei, at one point, was the best goalie. And now Holpe obviously won a couple of Benzina trophies and as the best goaltender in the NHL. But when he was bad, he was bad. Bobrovsky, he was never that bad. There were seasons where he wasn't great, but he wasn't as bad as Brandon Holpe. I mean, Brandon Holpe was bad at some points. Died down from one of the best goalies in the NHL to one of the worst or the worst goalie in the NHL. So I'm going to go with Sergei Bobrovsky. I'm going to go with him, too, because I actually think for a stretch of his career. Braden Holpe was very overrated. Helped out by a lot of great Capitals defensive teams. The Blue Jackets were a pretty good defensive team, but they weren't a great team that the Capitals were winning the number one seeds every year. Bobrovsky, I think, from a visionary perspective, too, just making a lot more athletic, making a lot of great saves that you don't see a lot of these guys make. Braden Holpe, I think, is a little more of a traditional goalie. Again, great playoff run with that Capitals team, but also has his duds as well. Plenty of them in the playoffs, whereas Bobrovsky didn't have that kind of luxury. I'm going to go with him as well. Alright, one more. Better pitcher, so far in their career. Two Tigers, two ex-Tigers. Max Scherzer, Justin Verlander. That's a good one. I'm going to go with Max Scherzer because he has been doing it uh, really for the last eight years. I mean, there's only two. Clayton Kershaw or Jacob DeGrom that you can argue has been better than him in the last eight years. But really, Max Scherzer has been dominant when he went to the Nationals, when he went to Detroit, when he was traded from Arizona. He's really figured himself out as a pitcher and as a Nationals pitcher. I mean, you talk about dominance. The numbers stick out to you. And he never hurt. He's always healthy. When you look at Clayton Kershaw, he never stays healthy. Jacob DeGrom, he hasn't stayed healthy. Max Scherzer has been really fully healthy besides a couple of fingers and blisters on his finger. I mean, this guy has been so dedicated to his craft. So I'm going to go with Max Scherzer. I am too. His pace for strikeouts right now is insane. I actually, I didn't realize he was only, he's only seven strikeouts behind Verlander in his career. And Verlander has played a couple years more. And Scherzer did it in a time before he was even a dominant pitcher too. So his longevity has been really impressive. All the different teams he's bumped around to. Better ERA in his career. Three Cy Youngs already. I know Verlander has two, but three Cy Youngs already in his career. The second half he had this season with the Dodgers too. was just insane too, where he might win another one. I don't know if he will, but he might. He's going to be in that final three. And I think it's just really impressive what he's been able to do. Not velocity driven even even though he does throw hard too it's very impressive what he's been able to do both hall of famers for sure and i think scherzer's longevity has just been better berliner had a bad stretch for three years remember that too before he just got rebirthed with the astros as well that's right well that was debate wars and we agreed to practically everything a rarity yes but it was good questions it was a lot better than last week that's for sure when we come back speedy we will get into what crunch time that's right here on the weekend crunch We are back, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. It's me, Big E. Yes, Errol Marks. And on the board, as always, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday. If the Islander game is live, we will be on at 1030. If not, we will be on 7 to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine of the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Well, 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 we're down to the last segment, Speedy. Very excited, are you? 
Yes, I'm always excited because it is time for Crunch Time. It's time for Crunch Time. All right, we'll start in the NFL. Two guys that were once thought of as possibly the best receiver in the league, DeAndre Hopkins and Odell Beckham, having uncharacteristic seasons for them. Buy or sell? In their matchup this week, both of them have under 100 yards. No, I think they're both going to have over 100 yards. I think both of them are going to be dominant this week. They both are going to have to. Odell Beckham is going to have to show up this week. With all the injuries that they have, they're going to depend on his ability to go up there and get the ball. So I believe both will have over 100 yards. I'm selling it. You're selling it. I'm buying it because Byron Murphy has played very well this year for for the Arizona Cardinals. Baker Mayfield and Odell have not had connected well. And the game plan, even with the running back injuries last week, was still more tight end oriented. So I think Kevin Stefanski with the depth, I think will definitely stick to that. I think Odell will play well, but I think it'll still be under 100 and Hopkins. He's the fifth targeted guy on the team. And I don't think the Cardinals are going to break off from what they do between Edmonds, between Rondell Moore and guys like that. So I'm actually going to buy it. All right, buy or sell. Number 25, Texas will hand Oklahoma State their first loss. I'm going to sell that. Texas had a bad loss last week against Oklahoma. Oklahoma State has played good football this year. The quarterback has played fairly well, and they've been running the ball pretty well. So I am not going to believe that, so I'm going to sell that. Yeah, I'm going to sell it, too. Spencer Sanders is actually one of the more underrated quarterbacks, I thought, in his three years with Oklahoma State so far. Texas does not win these big games on the road. I think Oklahoma State will lose down the road. I think they beat Oklahoma. I agree. And they'll have one dud loss somewhere else when they have all this pressure of being undefeated and getting a big 12 team into the college football playoffs, but I do think they will win this game, so I am going to sell it. All right, buy or sell. Both LCS series will go to six or seven games. I'm going to buy that. I, I think both teams, with the Astros and the Red Sox, they match up very well, and the Braves and the Dodgers match up very well. All four teams are hot at the right time, so I am going to buy that. I'm going to buy it, too. I think the Red Sox-Astros will be a six-game series, and the Dodgers-Braves are going to be a very good seven-game series, I think. I, like I said earlier, I think the Braves are going to get redemption on the Dodgers. I think the Dodgers haven't been as good in one-run games, and I think the Red Sox, I see them beating the Astros with the Alex Cora effect. He knows that team a little more. Even the prospects he knows a little better, too. But that will be a good series as well. Neither of them will be a blowout. So I am going to buy it. All right, buy or sell. The Islanders will finish in the top five in points across the entire NHL. Oh, I'm buying it. I don't think they're as bad as they were in game number one. I think they're going to figure things out. Barry Trotz's offense and defense starts to move, maneuver in the middle of the season, early in the season. All the defensemen are going to figure it out. So I am going to buy it. In the Eastern Conference, yes, I'm going to sell it across the entire NHL because the West, the West still has a lot of powerhouses, too. You got the Atlantic Division, which has Boston. I think will still be a high point total. I think Tampa will still be very good, even losing pieces, though, too. And I think in the West, there's a lot of the Vegas, obviously Colorado. You got a lot of different teams that I think it'll just be. I think the Islanders will be top 10 for sure, and they'll be definitely top five in the East. But the whole NHL, I will sell it. All right, buy or sell. The Ravens had their streak end of 100-plus rushing yards, but they will do it for every other game this season. I'm going to sell that. I know they've been unbelievable, and Lamar Jackson's been unbelievable. Some good defenses they're playing this year, so I'm going to sell that. I'm going to sell it, too. It was a very impressive streak, but I think another team will end up breaking it up at some point. I mean, these running backs, there are a lot of old guys and then some new guys mixed in. It's it's a platoon that is going to work in some games because the Ravens' rushing scheme is always good, but 100 yards every game for the rest of the season, that's going to be hard to do, so I'm going to sell it as well. Buy or sell, Kentucky will cover their minus 21.5 point spread against Georgia. I'm going to sell that. I don't believe they will. I think Georgia's going to kill them this week. Especially, Georgia has a chance to really start to 
be the solidified number one team right now in the nation, and I, I think they are. Their, their defense is high-flying, uh, very fast. One of the best defenses we've seen in a very long time, so I am going to sell that. I'm going to sell it, too, because I think Kentucky's defense is due to get exposed at some point. They've played very well this year, too, and I think Georgia, their rushing attack, and even their receivers even losing pickings for the season at the beginning of the year have been very impressive, too. I don't know if JT Daniels is playing this week. He's always been in and out with injury and the game planning with it, and with Georgia, number one, I think he will end up playing at some point, too. They're going to try to solidify it now that Alabama lost. So I'm also going to sell that as well. All right, buy or sell. The Nets will finish outside of the top five in the East if Kyrie Irving does not play this season. I'm going to buy it. I I think Kyrie Irving's a big part of that offense. I don't know if he's going to get traded. And if he sits the whole season, the Nets don't have that other prolific scorer. The East is definitely better this year. And if Ben Simmons goes back to the 76ers, which more than likely is going to happen, they're going to be good. Miami's going to be good. The Knicks are going to be good. Atlanta's going to be good. This is going to be a fun year. I think it's going to be very open East. Don't forget Milwaukee. So I am going to buy that. They're going to fall off. Yep. I'm going to sell. I don't know about uh, out of the top five. They might be fourth or fifth because Harden and Durant are still there. And I think the veterans now playing for a full season. The Bucks. I think Miami will definitely be in, in, in the top. The Knicks, I think, will be in the top. They should improve from where they were last year as a fourth seed. But again, I don't know if there's anyone else definitive right now that I can say. Are you watching the Knicks right now? Yeah, I know. The, the Knicks have been really impressive. But four or five, there's really nobody else definitive right now. Maybe the Celtics bounce back. Maybe Toronto bounces back. Everyone's raving about Chicago. I'm still not completely sold on them yet. I think the Nets will probably be either four or five if that's the case. So I am going to disagree and sell that one. All right. Buy or sell. Kadarius Toney will have more receiving yards than either of Robert Woods or Cooper Cup. I'm going to sell that. That's not going to happen. I think Cooper Cup is going to destroy the Giants in the open field in the slam. I don't know what Kadarius Toney is. The last two games, he's been sensational. I haven't seen it in, on a full season consistency. So, no, I'm selling it. That's not going to happen. I'm going to buy it for the purpose. Of uh, not that I think both of them are going to play great. I don't think Kadarius Toney's going to have 100 yards. I think he'll have 70-something. I just think he'll get more targets. Robert Woods really hasn't seen a lot of targets this year for the Rams because Cup has been so good. I think the Rams are going to keep going with the big plays. And even the running game got going last week for the Rams, too which the Giants have had a lot of trouble stopping the run. I think they're going to continue to run the ball. So I'm actually going to buy that he has more. Not much more, and I don't think either of them will be great, but I am actually going to buy that. Ben Simmons for Kyrie Irving straight up trade. It's going to happen. As the season progresses, if it continues the way Kyrie Irving explains it, I don't think he'll be a net. He's not retiring, and I don't think the Nets are going to keep him. So... I'm going to buy it. I think it could happen. I'm going to sell it. I think Daryl Moore is salivating about the idea, but I don't know about Sean Marks wanting Ben Simmons. I worry about that kind of thing with James Harden already being bad in the playoffs. Ben Simmons with that contract with all the veteran players that they have. And especially if Kyrie Irving does end up being gone, is Ben Simmons going to be the third guy that James Harden and Kevin Durant are going to want? The players have a lot of say in this kind of thing, so I'm going to sell it. All right, buy or sell. Artemi Panarin will finish top 10 in points in the NHL this season. I'm going to sell it. I think Panarin... Will be in the top 15. I don't, I don't know about the top 10. He's got to show me that he could be a team player. He hasn't really been a team player since he's come to the Rangers. Uh, and not a winning player, that's for sure. So I'm going to sell it. I'll sell it, too. I think he'll be right outside the top 10. I just, do, too. I think in terms of the young players playing on that line, now it'll definitely benefit them. But they have to step up, too. Kako, Lafreniere, guys like that. Even if Kreider bounces back as a goal scorer on that line, whoever it ends up being, somebody's going to have to bounce back. He'll improve in terms of the raw passing, but doesn't mean he'll get more of the assist to do that. Goal scoring, he'll be fine. He'll be top 10 goal scoring. I don't know about overall points. I will sell it. 
All right, buy or sell. One of the Red Sox or the Braves will pull off the upsets. I think they both could, but yes, I'm going to buy that. I think the Braves are going to pull off the upset because of what we've seen with this team offensively. Albies has been sensational. I think he's been the best second baseman in all of baseball this year. And their infield broke records when it came to home runs. Yeah. I think they're going to be very dangerous in this series. And their pitching has been sensational in the second half of the season. So, yes, I'm going to buy it. I'm buying it too, and I think they both do it. I think the Red Sox, with Alex Cora's knowledge of the Astros, I think that'll help them in advantage-wise. Neither team has great pitching on paper, but I think the depth is something that the Red Sox have used very well this season, including ex-Met Hansel Robles, of course, pitching well now that he's not on the Mets. But, yeah, I, th- I think the Red Sox and the Braves, too. I think the Braves, very Nationals feel, as I mentioned earlier. I think this is a redemption tour type year for the Braves. I think they beat the Dodgers, and I think they beat whoever comes out of the American League, so I'm also going to buy it. All right, buy or sell. One of the ranked SEC teams will lose to an unranked team. So it's Arkansas at home against Auburn, Florida at LSU, Texas A&M, who just beat Alabama, is at Missouri. Alabama's at Mississippi State and Ole Miss at Tennessee. One of them will lose. I'm going to sell that. I don't think it's going to happen. Not this week. We saw some upsets last week or borderline upsets. I think this week it's going to stay where it is, so I'm going to sell it. I am going to sell it, too. I think that if there's anyone that's going to do it, maybe LSU beats Florida, but that's, real, that's really the only one that I think will be that close. Tennessee has, has underwhelms every year. Ole Miss, they don't have a good defense, but Matt Corral, like Jeff was saying on the Sports Lab now, is a Heisman candidate this year. and He's been impressive, but definitely I, I don't think Tennessee's going to be the team to keep up with them, so I'm going to sell that as well. All right, let's do one more. Austin Eckler will finish with more rushing yards than Lamar Jackson. I'm going to sell that. I can't see that happening. Lamar Jackson's been unbelievable. I wouldn't be surprised if Lamar Jackson leads the league in running. Maybe Derrick Henry, if Christian McCaffrey comes back and has those 150, 200-yard games back-to-back. I mean, maybe he catches up. I don't know. No, I, I'm going to sell that. I think Lamar Jackson's been sensational. I think he's, to me, he's the MVP of the league right now. I'm going to buy it because I think Brandon Staley's outside rushing defense will help contain his rushing attack a little more. I think Lamar Jackson will probably have something in the 50, 60-yard range. Maybe a rushing touchdown, but I don't think he'll have the prolific rushing attack like we've seen in the past. And Eckler, I think, will have something around that, too, kind of like in the 70, 80 range. I think his receiving is going to be what's going to be more prevalent in this game. The Ravens have had a lot of trouble with receiving running backs this year because outside of Patrick Queen, they don't really have coverage linebackers, and they're more outside rushing type team, so they leave the guys to The face. Ravens will stop Eckler Even Even Jonathan Taylor, who's not known as a receiving back, had some good routes in that game and had a screen pass for a touchdown, obviously, too. It's a big problem the Ravens have had this year, so I'm actually going to buy All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was crunch time. And and by the way, it was a great show. Shout out to all the fans, all the Long Islanders, all the fans around the country that tune in and go to iHeartRadio if they're not around here on the FM dial listening to our show. All the Islander fans, Ranger fans, Knicks fans. We will get into the Knicks preview next week. The season starts for the Knicks next week. Definitely an exciting time for New York sports. Not for football, but for hockey. Not for baseball either, but hockey and basketball are going to be fun this year. I think both New York teams could make the playoffs and make a run. I think both basketball teams can make a run too this year with the depth that the Knicks have and with the firepower that the Nets have. So stay tuned. We'll get into the preview next week as the season begins for the Knicks and the Nets. That's it for our show, ladies and gentlemen. Me and Speedy will be back next week, maybe with a guest. So stay tuned and be kind. And shout out to the Islanders. Keep pushing because we need wins. That is it. Good night.